I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, James Vickers. You can reach us on the show at on our Twitter page, which is at Championship Pod. And you can also follow me on my personal Twitter page, which is at underscore James Vickers. Hello, I'm Simon Pickup. I'm the editor of the Tarhurst End, uh, a Reading blog and uh, podcast as well. We cover everything about Reading. You can find us on Twitter at the Tarhurst End, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Royal. Yeah, cheers for joining me today, Simeon. Um, we're going to do two episodes over the international break, focusing on our guests and how their teams sort of have got on for the season as a whole and and how they sort of see the rest of the season going. Obviously, I wanted to get you first on, Simeon. We're, so we're recording this on the Wednesday, and obviously the main news coming out of today is the the news that Yapstam's no longer with Reading. So first of all, I wanted to ask you, were you surprised by his departure? And sort of second, were you one of the people who were sort of back in Stam to stay? Or were you sort of firmly on the side that wanted him out? Um, I guess the decision to sack him really isn't surprising at all, considering how bad we've been over the last couple of months. One win in our last, I think, 19 matches in all competitions is it's unacceptable form at any level, to be honest, at any standard. Um, so it's just surprising that he's lasted this long. What really is surprising is the timing of it. We've only got about eight games left of the season to save our championship status. We're three points off the bottom three. Um, so it gives a new manager a really tall order to come in and change things around, really stop the rot and get some new ideas into the team in such a short time. Um, and you've got to question the owners, what are they trying to get out of this? Are they really expecting a new manager to, to be able to keep us up. Um, they're not usually experienced in English football in terms of making these decisions. I've only been in charge of the club for just under a year, so it just makes me think that they've made a inexperienced, pretty poor decision to um, sack a manager this late, to be honest. Yeah, obviously you mentioned there eight games to go when you're sort of just above the relegation zone. Obviously, after sort of the success at last season, sort of narrowly missing out in the playoffs, were you expecting sort of Stam to take the club forward this year, or has this season sort of come as sort of no surprise? So how how have you viewed sort of the last sort of twelve months really of, of Yapstan's ten tenureship before he left? Well, when he came in at the start, there was. Um... There was a lot of talk of a three-year plan of him coming in and revolutionising everything in terms of the playing style, uh, recruitment, youth development, all of that. And we were expecting to have quite a bad season last year and then slowly build up this season and then next year after that. Um, so it's very surprising to see us get to the playoff final last year. That kind of completely messed our expectations. We were expecting to be probably battling against relegation or maybe a mid-table. Um but considering how well things went last year, we were really hoping that we'd um, 
really push on. We've got some new owners in um, two Chinese billionaires. We thought we were going to buy some really good players and really strengthen the side and push on from that third-place finish. But in the end, everything that was good about the team last year in terms of being consistent, mentally strong, being able to just grind out wins week in, week out, we haven't been able to do that this year. Um, and it's surprising. There's a lot of different factors um, in terms of how shaky the recruitment has been. Um, the morale has been low for quite a while and Yapsan just seems to have lost his touch um, in terms of tactics, in terms of firing up the team to, to get them to win games. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to get a, get my head around it. Um, if you ask any Reading fan um, to sum up how this season's gone, everyone will give you a slightly different answer. Some people will blame it on um, a lot of external factors behind the scenes, things like recruitment and um, and how uh, unstable the club's been over the last couple of years. Other people will put it squarely on Yapstam and uh, ineffective tactics and him trying to do too much with players who don't really know how to play this system, this Dutch total football. Yeah, you mentioned there, obviously, sort of the issue with firing up the players and, and players not being sort of suited for his system. Obviously, the sort of next appointment for, for Reading is absolutely key. Do you expect them to bring someone in in the interim sort of for the last few games of the season or would you expect them to sort of take a bit of time over the international break and then sort of get the new man in with the intention of sort of building for the next couple of years who would be your sort of ideal candidate at the moment that would come in and, and do the job I don't know what to expect really um, you'd hope that they've got someone lined up that they've been hopefully talking to someone for quite a while and they're ready to make a quick appointment because that's really important if we're going to stay up we need well every day possible for, for a new manager to be able to come in and get their tactical ideas in, impressed on the squad um, but there's no clear answer to be honest some people will say um, we should completely scrap this tactical style we should go to something more direct something more basic something that we can rely on a lot more other people will say we need a bit more gradual change away from what we've got um the candidates that are out there at the moment, people like Paul Clement, um, even seen Steve Cotterell named, which I really don't want to see happening. Um, there's no one clear style that you can detect from the candidates. There's no sense that the owners want to carry on this style of football or um, go in a completely different direction. So it's going to say a lot about what they want, really. Um, and... Yeah, I'm. I'm going to get more worried uh, the more time goes on between now and the, the appointment, because as I said, every day's every day counts now. If we're to get in a, a good replacement. Yeah, obviously, sort of until the international break finishes. I think we've got about a week and a half, so sort of that Easter weekend sort of period is really crucial. Sort of looking a bit further past that, how do you sort of see the rest of the season going for Reading? Would you expect them to have enough sort of about them to stay up? Obviously, there's teams like Sunderland and Burton who are really struggling down the bottom. Do you expect to sort of stay clear of that and then hopefully start your rebuilding process sort of fully next season? Or are you fearing sort of the worst, really, for the rest of the season? I think I've got to fear the worst, to be honest. Um, they've left it so late with the, with the sacking that you wonder what kind of impact a new manager is going to be able to have. Really, if they can come in and get 
three wins or so get about six to ten points, it could be enough when you consider how bad the other teams have been. Sunderland has been awful. Uh, you've got Barnsley and Birmingham City down there as well. So you'd hope that a couple of wins should be able to do it. But the momentum, the downward momentum has been so profound for such a long period that you don't know if you're going to be able to turn it around in that short time. And if this club does go down, it's going to be uh, it's going to hit us really hard, particularly with things like revenue and um, keeping our uh, category one status for our academy as well. So it's a big couple of months for the club. Yeah, obviously, sort of big couple of months ahead. Um, hopefully, you know, next time we have you on, you've you've got the new manager in. Obviously, I'd expect you to. I wouldn't expect you to wait more than sort of a week or so to get the new manager in. And you know, hopefully by then you've you've sort of managed to turn it round and you know sort of pulled clear of safety. So the one thing, as a Preston point of view, that I'm worrying for is the fact that we play you in. Uh, I think it's about a week or no, about two and a half weeks now. So I can see a new manager coming in, having his little honeymoon period and really disrupting our playoff plans. So from a selfish point of view, hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, but obviously, I know from from your point of view, you'll be eager to get those points on the board as soon as possible and then start to look forward rather than back. Um, with that, though, we're out of time on this short interview. Um, if you'd like to let everyone know where they can find you again and sort of any projects you're involved in, you know, now would be a good time. Yeah, I'm the editor of the Tyrehurst End. You can find us on Twitter at the Tyrehurst End, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Royal. Cheers for joining us, Simeon. That's all right. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm now joined by Russ Goldman, the Fulham representative that we have on the podcast. Uh, cheers for joining us, Russ. Thank you, James, for having me, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you uh, about Fulham's season so far. Perfect. Yeah, before we get started, um, if you want to sort of plug any sort of Twitter handles, any projects you're involved in, you know, feel free. Sure. You can actually follow me on Twitter, Russ underscore Goldman, and also for my podcast, which is Cottage Talk, a podcast all about Fulham Football Club, you simply can go on Twitter at Cottage Talk and you will find the uh, the uh, show uh, Twitter account there. And you can also listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and also on the TuneIn app. And on top of that, you can listen to it on the Stitcher app. 
Yeah, cheers for joining me. It's really been sort of a season of two halves for Fulham, uh, sort of as the old saying goes. And, you know, thankfully for you, you've sort of turned it round and saved me blushes. I had you and Sheffield Wednesday tip to be sort of the two teams in and around the top of the table at the start of the season. So thankfully, one of them has at least kind of come true. Um, sort of talk us through, obviously, the first half of the season where you were sort of in and around mid-table and then sort of since the turn of the year really obviously there was it was building just before that but since the turn of the year obviously you've been on this fantastic run sort of talk us through the season as a whole and where was sort of the moment in the season where you can sort of pinpoint if you can you know where the season really started to turn in your favor sure well the first half of the season was definitely a disappointment and uh if i can go back to the origin of that i would have to say before the season began we started seeing some speculation that there was something going on with Tom Kearney and uh, that he was dealing with uh, a knee issue. And it turned out to be true. He had this uh, knee problem and uh, he tried to play with it, but it was pretty obvious that uh, it was bothering him and uh, he'd be missing matches a decent amount throughout the season. And the way that Fulham play, uh, really, he is the he's what everything has been built around. I, I can fairly confidently say that. So when you don't have a fully fit Tom Kearney and you don't have him playing in several matches, it's going to affect you. You you think you can manage because Fulham squad, I thought at that time, at the beginning of the season, still was good enough to have a really good start of the season. And it just didn't work out that way. Uh, instead of getting victories, we were getting draws. We, and many of these draws would be happening late. And uh, I... Not all of it goes to the Kearney injury, but I think that is a portion of it. And then, of course, we brought in uh, a new player to play, I guess you could say, his position, which was Oliver Norwood. He's done a good job. He did a very good job in the first half of the season, but he's not Tom Kearney. So we were just trying to figure out how it was all going to work. And we also had Sonia Luco weave, and then you, you had someone take his place. So... It sounds like little changes, and then, of course, uh, at left back, you have Scott Malone leaving. So you have these issues, and I think it really affected how the beginning of the season went. So for me, uh, everything really started to change as we got to, I guess you could say, the the holiday months. Uh, That's when we started to change our season around. And... uh, it's hard to put my finger on what changed it. I, you know, again, having uh, Tom Kearney back helped, but it was more than that. I would say, you know, again, just finding ways to win. All of a sudden, we were just finding ways to get all three points instead of drawing. And uh, I remember doing uh, an episode of the Championship Roundtable. We were kind of at the crossroads at that point, and uh, uh, you were asking me how many points we needed from a certain amount of matches, and I said. I think I said nine, and we ended up getting 10. And that turned out to be the turning point. And that was right around the end of uh, the calendar year and the beginning of this year. And it just took off from there. But where we really caught fire is when we get to uh, January. Uh, the three acquisitions in January really have taken us from just a, a team that could be in the playoffs to a team that could potentially contend for second. We'll see if that all plays out. But the three additions in January just took us to the next level. Yeah, obviously you mentioned the three additions in January. You know, you brought in someone with a lot of championship experience in Cyrus Christie. You know, obviously he's been at Derby for 
for quite a while and, you know, knows the division inside out. Obviously, Matthew Target has, has covered for Scott Malone, who I remember you saying at the sort of the first half of the season that you were still short in that position, obviously. Yes. You know, the emergence of Ryan Sessegnon really is, even though he played well last season, I think it's been his real breakthrough year this year. Obviously, I know you've said sort of countless times you see him playing further forward. So obviously there was the rumours there with Sessegnon going. People, you know, put sort of one and two together and thought that Target was going to be a direct replacement, which obviously, you know, great for you. You kept hold of Sessegnon. But I think the real sort of key over the last sort of couple of months and, you know, Preston sort of felt it the hard way has, has been the signing of Mitrovic. Is right. that obviously at the start of the season, you were saying that you thought you were sort of a forward short as well as the left back sort of issue. So you addressed both of those in January. Is that really sort of helped out that extra dimension to your game now, having Mitrovic in particular? Absolutely. It's funny because I've said on the show, he was the uh, missing piece and I, he just fits very well to how Fulham want to play now. And uh, it goes back to the season prior when we, when we had Chris Martin, Chris Martin could be that focal point and the way Savisa plays, it really works well, you know, with, uh, with players running and, and him, basically either taking it himself or getting other teammates involved. We've been missing that for a long period of time. Uh, we played, you know, again, within this Slavisa style, but we were missing that striker, that focal point, and that, you know, if we wanted to, you know, kick it up to him and then let him distribute, he holds up the ball very well. And as you have found out, unfortunately, James, he can score. And uh, he really has been able to, to take us to that next level. But I don't want to diminish the importance of Matt Target either because Matt Target, you and I have talked about that. Uh, I knew he was coming in for a couple of reasons. One, because they were really missing that style of left back with Scott Malone. Now you have that with Matt Target and, and he's actually very good defensively. And that also allowed Fulham to play Ryan Sessegnon further up the pitch. It was really a domino effect. So when you bring in Mitrovic, it helps you score goals. And then, of course, you bring in Target, and he helps you score goals, but he also solidifies you defensively. He gives you, I guess you could say, a two-way left back where he's he can be very offensive, but he helps you defensively. And then you have Cyrus Christie as your right back as an option. you know. And listen, you happen to see that in the match against Fulham, Fulham versus Preston, you got to see him when, when he came off the bench, took the place of uh, Ryan Fredericks, and uh, he made a difference. So we, we have that as well. We have cover now at several positions, and Christie could be a valuable piece as we go forward. But the top two would have to be, uh, obviously, target, and number one has to be Mitrovic because now it's basically like an engine that now every, everything is firing on all, on all cylinders. And... Uh, uh, I'm very thankful that Tony Khan, Slavisa Jokanovic made this happen, bring him in, because he really has made a huge difference to what Fulham are doing right now. With eight games to go, obviously, the top two look like, sort of as much as I've said over the past few weeks, I thought you could catch them. I think they yeah. sort of are picking up the points where they need to, and they do look like they're going to be sort of the top two come the end of the season, sort of barring any, you know, disastrous collapse over the last eight games. I think it's 
more than safe to say, you know, again, unless you had a, a major collapse, which I can't see happening, that you'll probably be in the playoffs. How do you see the last eight games going from a Fulham point of view? And uh, obviously not a, an exact points prediction, but sure. how would you expect you to finish? And then obviously, how would you rate your chances going into the playoffs? Uh, it's interesting because... Yeah, you, you actually mentioned to me, and I didn't want to talk about it, James. I didn't want to talk about second, but you kept dragging me in. I, it was like Godfather 3 <laughs> with you. Uh, but I understand because uh, Fulham were on, on that great run. They still are, you know, even though we got the draw against QPR. We still have this uh, undefeated uh, run, which is tremendous. It really, it's wonderful. But can it, can it be sustainable? And that's the question because we went through our probably most difficult part of the uh, season we just finished it actually finished with playing your team that was really that game was really what we thought was going to be the hardest part of course then you play uh, a West London derby and uh, that's always going to be hard but we saw the six match stretch is really the pinnacle of how difficult it could be so I'm looking at the last eight matches for Fulham and I'm not saying they're going to get maximum points because that would be crazy for me to say but I see the points being dropped very uh, at a very small amount. I, I could see them losing a match and maybe getting a draw or two, but that's, that's it because the matches are there for them. Honestly, they could easily, not easily, but they could win all eight or they could drop, you know, drop points, drop, you know, lose a match. I, I can't see them losing more than one and then, and then uh, getting a couple of draws. So with that said, I think that they're in probably good position to end up either third or fourth that's where that's where i'm thinking they're going to end up uh and uh, i'm not thinking about second at this point if that was to come into play fine but if i'm being realistic third or fourth seems to be where they are and then we can talk about the playoffs and what i hope uh, because i do think they're going to get to the playoffs is that they learn from the mistakes of uh that they ran into last season and and What's funny about it is that QPR showed and reminded me and reminded Fulham supporters of how difficult Reading was last season. Because if you can press Fulham and don't let them play the ball out from the back and you make things difficult on them, you can, you can get to them. And that's exactly what happened in that second half. So my concern, honestly, in the playoffs would be who we face. Uh, it's going to be a matchup issue. If we're facing a team that plays like us, I think Fulham are going to be fine. If they play Aston Villa, I think they're going to be fine. Middlesbrough, I think, is a challenge, but I think we can beat Middlesbrough. If we play Preston North End again, it's going to be a tough one, my friend, because you know how to play against us. So when we get to the playoffs, it's going to be about the matchup. Who do they get? And then we can take it from there. But that's kind of the way I'm looking at it, James. Yeah, I sort of couldn't agree more with regards to, to playing sort of Villa and Middlesbrough in the playoffs if you did get them. I think the way your team sets up is, you know, perfect to play against them. And, you know, hopefully Preston can make it into the playoffs. And, you know, it's, it's sort of the bad thing, I suppose, about doing this I don't want to face you, by you... the way. And I, I'm being very serious. I don't want to face your team because I know that you would get, give us everything that, that you had. Uh, because you have a very good team, a very impressive team. I was very impressed, even though we beat you. In, in that match, you just showed a way that uh, that Fulham can be beat, even though you didn't win the match. QPR showed it too. There are ways 
to beat a team like ours. And, uh, you know, we hopefully will learn from that. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, it's, it's the bad thing about doing this, pl- uh, the, the podcast that obviously, you know, you, you get to sort of talk to fans from other teams and you want them to do well as well. But when it gets down to the, the business end of the season, you know, you can afford to be a little bit selfish for, for your team. So sort of speaking to people that we do, you know, on a week to week basis, you know, I wish your teams all the best for the, the remainder of the season. But from a selfish point of view, if, if we do manage to sneak in, you know, I'll be uh, firmly on the Preston side. Um, but with that, Russ, we're out of time. Thank you for uh, for joining me today. You know, it's a pleasure to have you on as always, and no doubt we'll have you on in the, the very near future. Thanks very much, James. Welcome back to the Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm now joined by Rob, who is the Barnsley fan who obviously represents them on the podcast. Uh, thank you for joining me, Rob. No bother at all. Thanks for having me on tonight. Perfect. Um, yeah, if you want to let anyone know where they can reach you, any social medias or any projects that you're involved in, feel free as well. Uh, yeah, I'm the editor of Tyx Mad. You can find me there at Barnsley, www.barnsley-mad.co.uk and you can also follow me on Twitter at 21Tyke. Perfect. Yeah, cheers for joining me, Rob. Um, obviously, we'll start with sort of reviewing Barnsley's season sort of as a whole. Um, obviously, eight games to go, um, but sort of the season so far, obviously, I'm guessing it's not materialised sort of how you hoped. What's been your sort of overall feeling for the for the season so far? Are you sort of disappointed with it or is it how you expected the season to go? I think it's, it's probably gone as expected. Um, we looked at the recruitment we made in the summer, and I mean, no disrespect to these clubs, but signing players from Forest Green Rovers, Luton Town, uh, you know, yeah, players coming in that had not even been tried at, at the championship level before. Obviously, we lost even more good players in the summer, like Marley Watkins, Josh Gowan, Mark Roberts, players that had got us promoted and got us into a respectable league position last season of 14. Um, but I mean, we started off not too bad. We had a good run, sort of between about September, October. Uh, we picked up a couple of wins, a couple of draws away from home at big clubs, and we were, I think, we were like seven points clear of relegation. Since sort of like the start of December, though, it's it's, it's been appalling, really. We've won since the fourth of November. We've won one game. That was at Sunderland. We were probably the worst team in the division. Um, that's only two games we won at Birmingham as well the other week, but it's. You know, their team's sort of below us. I think, we've, well, I, was look, I was actually looking before I came on the podcast just to actually look at our record properly. And so far this season, we've won seven games, which seems fairly respectable for a team battling relegation. But then you look, five of those wins have come against the three teams below us. So basically anyone not in the relegation zone, we we struggled to beat. The other wins were in uh, August, we beat Nottingham Forest. And we won at Millwall, I think, in September. And they're the only wins in... Uh, it's. I think the only way we're going to stay up this season is if the other three teams below us continue to lose. I think we need them to save us because I can't see us saving ourselves at the moment. It's, it almost sort of resembles the last time we went down in, in 2014. I saw somebody put on Twitter the other day and it, it proper um, somebody up it said that it, it stunk like 2013 to 14 and, and it does. It, it feels exactly the same as it did then. You know, players that are not good enough. I'm not saying they're not trying because they probably are trying. They're just not good enough. The, the, some teams are coming out of that. We had Millwall at the weekend who, you know, no disrespect to them, but they only came up last season and they were so much better than us that, you know, the quality on the ball, the, the passing, the movement, the chances, we're just, we're just not good enough. And like I say, the only way we're going to stop up is 
if Birmingham, Burton and Sunderland continue to lose, I think. Yeah, Rob, so you mentioned there the the teams below you um, sort of picking up wins against them. Obviously, what has really sort of derailed your season sort of even more is obviously Heckenbottom leaving for Leeds in February. How was that sort of received with the fans? Was was it sort of a departure that you expected or did it come as a, a bit of a surprise? It wasn't an expected departure, to tell you the truth. Um, he only signed a new contract a few, well, he only announced the signing of a new contract a few days before. He claimed he'd signed it a couple of weeks before. But at the time, not many fans were, were that bothered. We were on a very, very poor run. I think it was one winning 18 when he left. So there was, I think some of the crowd was starting to turn a little bit on him anyway. And he'd, he'd openly flirted with the jobs during the season, like Sunderland and Nottingham Forest he got linked with. And he was sort of not, turn, not denying that he'd be interested. But um, so we've not really been derailed by it. We've just continued on that same theme. But the, the sort of concern I'm sort of seeing from the last few games is that at least when Hecking Bottom was here, we, the players weren't good enough. But they, they knew what their jobs were. <laughs> they weren't particularly great at them. But the you know the defenders knew where they needed to be. Midfielders, strikers, under this this new guy, this Jose Moraes, it's players are out of position. The, he makes five changes every game. No one seems to know what they're doing. So, you know, even though we weren't on the greatest run of form under Heckingbottom, the club seemed to be a bit more structured, a bit more organised. Whereas now, it's no one seems to know sort of what, what their role is in the team. You know, you've got the new manager in now. How has he sort of fared since Heckingbottom left? Have you noticed sort of a, a turnaround, or has it just been more of the same, really? And how would you sort of see the the last sort of eight or so games going in the season? Do you expect to stay up, or as you mentioned earlier, is it a case of sort of praying the teams below you sort of continue on the bad run of form that they've been on? Well, under under the new guy Jose, I, I think arguably it's got worse. Like I say, it's at least we were bad before, but we were sort of an organised bad. Um, now we're just so disorganised. Like at the weekend against Millwall, we had Ollie McBurney, who arguably is the most informed striker in the championship at the moment. He just won the Player of the Month award for for, um, for last month. And he was playing him on the left wing. He got some like six goals in seven games and on the left wing. We've got full backs that don't know where they're meant to be. Um, we are, On the other wing, we had Mamadou Tiam, who was built like, you know, like a brick outhouse and he's positioned out on the wing. Out and out wingers that we've got at the club can't get in the team. So it, it's, it's gone even... I think it's gone progressively worse since Jose took over. I think he's been in charge now for about six, seven games, and in two of them we've considered in the first minute. I, I, I think I looked up the stats the other day for, for for the website, and we've conceded in the first minute it's like twice in the last seven games, and that's that's like the same amount as we've done in the previous 183 games or something. So we're starting off appallingly. I went to Middlesbrough the week, appalling in the first half, in. At least with Heckingbottom as well, he used to be on the touchline, trying to like cajole them on. Jose seems to stand there for the first about five minutes and then disappears into the dugout and you you never see him again. So, I, I don't know. I mean, he used to be a coach for, for Mourinho, but he, he seems a bit, of a, a bit of a fraud at the minute. And I mean, his record as a manager has not been great in the past. So, it, it sort of stinks a little bit of, you know, foreign owners coming in, picking a foreign coach, which you see happen quite a lot, you know, in English football these days and it, and it not working out. Uh, in terms of the last eight games, we've got some really, really tough games. Uh, next up, it's Bristol City. We're fighting for the playoffs, so they're not going to lay down. We've then we've got Nottingham Forest, who mm, not nothing to play for, but on a very good run of form at the minute under under Karanka. 
We've got Sheffield United, again, pushing for the playoffs. Haters anyway, so they're not going to lie down for us. I think we've still got Brentford to come, who are a very tough team. It, I, I, I personally can't see where the next win's coming from, which is the worrying thing. We, we, we just don't even look like winning. We, we, if we go one nil up, we've gone one nil up a couple of times under Jose. But as soon as we go one nil up, then he puts everyone back and we sit and defend for the last 60 minutes or whatever. We're not good enough to do that. We're not good enough to hold on to a one nil lead. So, like I said before, it's it's going to be one of those, hopefully, fingers crossed, one of those three teams below us keeping us up. The, the win for Birmingham at the weekend was absolutely catastrophic for us. You know, we're, we're back down there now just on goal difference, just keeping us out. Um, I honestly think it's going to be League One football next season. I um, I was actually listening to your podcast at the weekend. I think you had the two the two Sheffield lads on. Yes. And they were saying the, and they were saying about you know how they thought it would be Barnsley that would drop in. I, I was nodding my head listening to it because I can see Birmingham going to be the fight now, and, and we just we just we're just not good enough. That's the the be all and end all. Those players aren't good enough, and it's you know it's just unfortunate. I mean, I could go out there and play for Barnsley. I wouldn't be good enough. Yeah, thank you for joining us today, Rob. Um, if you want to follow Rob on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at 21tyke. Uh, Rob also writes for a Barnsley fan site, which is barnsley-mad.co.uk. So definitely check him out. Um, and I'm sure we'll have him back on the podcast soon. Welcome back to part four of this special championship roundtable podcast episode. In this section, I'm going to be joined by Louis Shackshaft. Uh, Louis, thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Um, it's a strange one, because obviously I'll be asking you the questions now. Uh, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan, but let's let's talk about Preston North End, shall we? Yeah, I feel like all of a sudden I'm in the hot seat now, so I'm going to throw it over to Louis, and rather than me interviewing myself, Louis's going to ask me a few questions about sort of the, the remainder of Preston season and, and how I see it going. Yeah, it's going to be like Mastermind, this one, so uh, make sure you don't get any questions wrong, mate. Because, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I bet a lot of your follow- followers are re- relying on you this time, so... Shall I just shall I just kick it off? Question one, mate. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Well, first question. Obviously, Preston are doing really, really well this season. Um, so, understand, understandably, I'm guessing you're really happy with Alex Neal's first season in charge. So, what, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, definitely. I think when Simon Grayson left in the summer, as I've said sort of a few times on the podcast, most Preston fans were were fearing the worst. Really, you know, he left us on the first day of preseason, I believe it was, which you know. Any club that that had happened to, you know, straight away sort of signals disaster. So for Neil to come in and not have a full preseason and to be working with someone else's squad, you know, he's done fantastically well. The the first two months of the season, I'd say, really to set the tone, you know, we were up in and around the playoffs, sort of where we've been for the majority of the season. The only real sort of speed bump, I'd say, in his first season in charge was the injury crisis we had sort of late October, November, where four of our, I believe it's seven defeats this season, you know, came in consecutive games, which when you've got sort of nine, 10, 11 first team players out injured, I think any team in the division had, had struggled. So to bounce back from that the way they have, you know, it shows a real forgiveness about the camp and Neil's really embedded that in the players. There's, there's a real sense of, you know, the team as a whole playing for the manager. There's no sort of individuals in the team or or sort of star names or or anything like that. We are quite a small club in the division, um, you know, a division filled with the likes of Wolves and Aston Villa, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, these big name teams who have been in the premiership multiple times before. So for him to, to come in with someone else's squad, as I've said, and, and 
you know, give us a real crack at the playoffs this season. You know, it's gone better than I think most Preston fans would have expected. Can I ask, obviously, when when before Neil came in, what what was your expectations? Um, how did you think Preston would have done this season prior to him arriving? I think under Grayson, obviously, he did fantastically well for us, getting us back into the the championship from inheriting us in League One. I think the first two years we finished on exactly the same points and exactly the same position in the league in 11th. And I thought, you know, probably more of the same this season. I think with Grayson, if we'd have finished 11th again with the teams, you know, in the division, the money that's floating around, I would have said that is, you know, somewhat of a success for us. But, you know, you can only be content with that for so long. So I think looking back retrospectively now, Grayson moving on and Neil coming in, it's kind of worked you know, both ways, really. It's worked in a good way for us that we've got Neil in who, and it's not a knock on Grayson, I do believe that the two, Neil is the the better manager. You know, we've got a better manager now, a manager who's a bit more, I'd say, high profile in the division. So sort of the drawing power of players wanting to come and play for him and encouraging players that we do have already to to sign new deals, that kind of thing is, is sort of working in our favour now, having Neil in charge. So I think he has taken the club sort of a step on since since he came in and you know you said sort of how did I, I expect the season to go under Grayson as I said probably mid-table again you know under Neil now I think the sky's the limit for him really with the squad he's got obviously I, I won't expect us to you know make a push for the top two anytime soon but I do think you know inheriting a squad that isn't his to to challenge for the playoffs it's it's really exciting to see that you know, where the rest of this season will take us. And then, you know, potentially next season, if we, we don't go up, I'm, I'm still highly doubtful that we will, given a full pre-season and a full summer transfer window, how Neil can develop the squad and, and you know, ultimately take us forward into next season. Yeah, definitely. I've uh, I've been impressed with Preston this season. And uh, I think, you know, Neil's made a tight unit there um, and they're playing some really good football. Question for you, though. Um, obviously, Jordan Hugill departed to West Ham. As as it doesn't seem so, but from your perspective, has, has it been a detriment to the team or, or of the continued pushing forward even more so without him? Yeah, I get asked this question quite a lot when I sort of, I'm either on someone else's podcast or sort of doing their, like writing pieces. And I think the best way to sum it up is that it was a move that was successful for all parties, really. Obviously, you know, it's a shame to lose Hugh Gill, who was probably our best striker at the time. But, you know, to deny a lad who we signed from non-league football, you know, three or four years ago, the chance to go and play in the Premier League, you know, in a stadium like West Ham's week in, week out, you know, it'd be, it'd be unfair of us to sort of hold that back. It probably is for him, you know, once in a lifetime move. So always grateful for for the job he did for us you know he always gave 110 percent on the pitch and he was always the player that came off you know covered in the most sweat he, he wasn't afraid to put himself about so i have no problem with sort of his time while he was here uh, there was a few fans that were a bit disappointed that he handed in a transfer request last summer but you know it's a young lad who's had his head turned and you know he admitted that he's learned from those mistakes and you know hopefully in the future he, he doesn't repeat sort of something like that but then, obviously, to benefit Preston, we got Sean Maguire back a couple of weeks later. And, you know, I said at the time when Hugo left that 
as good as he was for us, I think the players around him suit more to play in a different way. With with Hugill at times, there was that over-reliance to go long because he was so good in the air. Whereas now we've got Maguire, it brings players like Barkusen, Robinson, Alan Brown in particular, you know, has been fantastic since the turn of the year when, when Hugill's gone, getting in and around that number 10 role and, you know, creating from sort of deep and, and pushing forwards. And I think with Maguire in now, it gives us a different kind of sort of threat and attack. He's, you know, he's come back from this injury. I think he's got five goals in four games, which, you know, for any striker to come back after four months out is absolutely fantastic. And I think now we're seeing a Preston that play, you know, more attacking football as a result. You know, we've got a lot of pace down the wings. Maguire's a quick lad himself. And, you know, it's really exciting to watch. Not to say it wasn't exciting with Hugill up top, but I think we've evolved the way we play. And I think ultimately going forward, that's how, Neil would like to set us up with sort of a small sort of number nine striker who can run the channels and run in behind. And, you know, as I said at the start, I think he's benefited both parties perfectly. I'm I'm a fan of Maguire and I'm glad you've mentioned him. Um, do you think since Hugo's departure that Maguire's had to step up a gear, um, if that makes sense? Yeah, definitely. I think in the first half of the season in particular, before his injury, Maguire was, you could see there was a player there. I think... To, to play him and Hugill, because Neil's obviously not a fan of a 4-4-2 and I don't think it suits sort of the players in and around our midfield. Maguire was been sort of pushed out wide onto the right or wide onto the left. And, you know, you're still doing well chipping in with goals and assists here and there. But, you know, you could see that he was sort of wanting to play down the middle. So for him to play down the middle now, you know, he's really stepped it up. He's, he's come back from injury and it, it looks at the moment, obviously, I don't want to tempt fate that he is, you know, single-handedly firing us towards the playoffs. You know, the rest of the team are playing well, but, you know, Maguire is sort of head and shoulders above everyone else at the moment. And, you know, if he can continue this form between now and the season, you know, who knows where we could end up. Yeah, I mean, Preston, you you know, with, without wanting to put your club down, that they're overachieving this season. And, and not I'm not going to say that in the limelight, but a lot of players are getting noticed. Do, do you fear such as Maguire and Callum Robinson and Tom Barkhews, and do you fear they might be looking at potential moves or big clubs are going to come in for them in the summer? Yeah, obviously, as you said, we're, we're not one of the biggest teams in the division and I'm always the first to admit that. So with that success does come, you know, sort of interest from bigger teams but the thing that sort of struck me with this group of players that we've got at the moment is the sort of the real togetherness in the squad as I said earlier there's there's no sort of real egos or you know players who think they're bigger than the club at the moment and they seem quite a tight-knit unit so you know hopefully um you know the players want to stay and continue to buy into this philosophy that Neil's bring into the club and sort of the the real good thing for us is the fact that you know we're in a position where we don't have to sell players at the moment we are one of only three teams last year who actually made a profit you know sort of on a monthly basis in the championship the other two actually went down I think were Wigan and I can't remember the other team but you know that's fantastic in itself all the players that we've got you know the players like Maguire, Barcus and Robinson Alan Brown, Ben Pearson are all on long sort of deals. I think the only two players out of contract in the summer are John Welsh, who hasn't really got a look in this season. So, you know, he's been a great servant for the club. It'd be a shame to see him go. But, you know, 
you can't live on sentiment. And I think his time at Preston is coming to an end. And the other one is Paul Gallagher, who for the most part looks like he's going to sign a one or two year extension. Um, obviously, he's getting on a bit at the moment, but he's a player who loves the club. He lives in the area. He's got a family settled here. So I think for him, you know, I can see him staying. But yeah, as I've said, with the the rest of the players, we're, we're in really strong position for the first time in probably the last 10 years where we don't really have to sell players. And if we do sort of get to a position where players want to leave, we can command, you know, really what we want for them with them bidding contracts. So I'd like to say that we can keep the core of the squad together. But, you know, if they do move on, we'll get some money in. And, you know, we've we've shown in recent years, sort of Preston as a whole, that we are quite shrewd in the transfer market. And I've got every faith that, you know, the, the management and the sort of the higher-ups can reinvest that money in the squad sort of wisely. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, like you mentioned there, Preston are renowned for buying players on the cheap as such and, and improving them, making them better and, and selling them on for a bigger fee. Uh, but one final question for you and the biggest question of the night. In fact, the biggest question of the season for you, James. Uh, do you think Preston can make the playoffs? And if 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 they were to finish sixth or wherever they were to finish in the playoff spots, can they go on to win it? Well, it's, it's a difficult question. I think with my sensible head on, I think this season we might just be a little short. Um, I think, you know, Derby, who albeit they're on sort of a bad run of form at the moment, you know, have the squad depth to, to ultimately turn that around. I think Villa and Fulham, you know, look absolute locks for the the playoffs now, unless there was, you know, dramatic sort of decline in, in their form, uh, which I can't really see happening. The only question mark really is, is Middlesbrough for that sort of last spot. You know, they've been a bit inconsistent, but again, with Tony Pulis, he's, he's starting to turn that around for them. So, you know, to get into the playoffs, we've got eight games left. I'd say we we probably need to win five or six of those to even stand a chance. The one thing that we do have going in our favour, and obviously there's no easy games in the championship, is that out of the chasing pack and Middlesbrough, we do look to have the sort of air quote fit easiest or most favourable running. Um, our hardest game, I'd say on paper, is Derby at home, and you know. I'd fancy when we play well, as we showed with Wolves and Aston Villa the other week, on our day, we can give anyone in the division a game. So I'd like to think we can get a result out of that game, especially with the sort of the poor run of form Derby have been on at the moment and the injuries they've had. Uh, the only other real tough game between now and then, and I do think that it'll probably come down to this game, is our second to last game of the season is away at Sheffield United. So I think that really is going to be, obviously, we use the term six-pointer more so at the bottom of the table. But I do think that that could be a real six-pointer going into the sort of the last round of games where we have Burton at home who, you know, unless they sort of rediscover their form, probably will be down by then. So, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see over the last sort of few weeks. I think... Sensible head, I think, will just miss out. I think we'll improve on our 11th place finish last season. I think we might be a point or two just shy. Um, I think ultimately those draws will come back to cost us. You know, we're, we're in a way, I think actually Sheffield Wednesday, the second closest to us with draws this season. So I think they could come back to haunt us a little. Um, if we did get into the playoffs, you know, never say never because it's knockout football at the end of the day. And, you know, it's it's who turns up on the day. But I do think that out of everyone in the playoffs at the moment, Fulham are the team to beat. But, you know, having said that, we gave them a real good game at, at Preston the other week. And 
unluckily for us, you know, Mitrovic, who always seems to score against us, managed to uh, pounce up in the, I think it was the 91st minute and, and steal the point. So while I do think we'll probably finish short, you know, the playoffs, as everyone says, they're a lottery and, you know, it can go either way. It doesn't necessarily follow form as it's sort of shown in the last few seasons. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I have summed that up there. I think um, most fans across the country who are neutral. I'd love to see Preston in the playoffs. Uh, I would. I, I certainly know that. Um, like you said, though, I think there are a couple of teams a bit stronger than you at the minute, like you mentioned, Fulham. Um, but also you mentioned the playoffs a lottery. So if they did get in there, then who knows? Um, miracles do happen, I suppose. Leicester won the Premier League and Huddersfield managed to do it last season. So... Thank you for answering my questions, James. No, that's absolutely fine. Thank you for uh, coming on and asking me them so I didn't sit and, and basically talk to myself uh, for the last 10 minutes <laughs> of the episode. So it's much appreciated. No problem. I'll chat to you soon. Perfect. Cheers for joining me, Louis. Um, before you go, if you want to let anyone know where they can uh, sort of find you on any social medias, feel free. Yeah, so if you want to catch me on Twitter or visit my website, it's just my name for both, uh, at Louis Shackshaft or louisshackshaft.com. And I'll be on the uh, podcast soon enough, I'm sure, over the next week or so. Yeah, definitely. I think we're going to have another episode out uh, in a few days' time and Louis will be stepping in and asking the questions to the, the rest of our guests who come on so you know definitely check that out when it's out um cheers for joining me today louis um and as always you know follow us on our twitter page which is at championship pod and if you want to follow me on twitter my personal twitter is at underscore james vickers um but with that we're out of time i hope you've enjoyed this uh, sort of special episode um give us feedback as usual on twitter um and we'll see you next time Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.